welcome to the Southcliff Podcast. We're glad you're here. Listen now to our surf pastor, Dr. Elliot Higgins. As mentioned, my name is Elliot Higgins. I told everybody all week, I'm not preaching Sunday. I'm off duty. Now here we are, and you can't escape. Dr. Moore uh, texted me last night. He got back from Israel, but he is not feeling well. And if you know our pastor, he was thinking about trying to get backstage and slip out here and speak. And it's just like, you are sick. Stay home and relax and recover. We've got it. So here we are today. Know that your pastor takes his calling seriously and he longs to be here with you today. Uh, But instead, you get me. So you are welcome. Happy Mother's Day to you. Today, we're going to take a a slight break from the study of Romans. When I got the text from Dr. Moore last night, one of the key things in looking at a text is something that resonates with me. And I, I know that resonating because I know that that's what God is saying, this is it. And so today, this is it. This is the passage that the Lord laid before us today. And here's the fun thing. The fact of the matter is, God knew from before you or I were ever born that we would be here together today, that I would be here, you would be there, and this is the passage that he has for us. Knowing that, I want us to turn our attention to Matthew chapter 14. This is the reason why God brought you here today. We find in Matthew chapter 14. One of the things that we're going to see in this passage, there's really two main things as you're turning there. Number one, God is going to give us a bird's eye view, I should say a God's eye view of what he is doing. It's like he is lifting us up to a 30,000 foot elevation that we can see what he is up to in a big picture. You and I, we sometimes have what we call a big picture view of something, but we're limited. We can only see what we can see from the vantage point of which we are. We cannot see out into the future. We do not know what is coming. We can have general ideas of what might be, but we flat cannot see. So God lifts us up in this text that we have a big picture view of what God is doing. When we see what God is doing big picture, it's the little details that we get hung up on that scare us. It's the details that we say, I'm not sure how God's going to do this. I'm not sure how he's going to work through this. I'm not sure where this is going to lead. And so when we have the ability to look at the big picture of what God sees, we say, aha, now I know what he's doing, and now I know where he's taking me, and I can trust in that. So what he's going to do in the passage before us is give us that big picture. Here's what God is doing. But in the midst of that, from the beginning, the middle, and the end of this whole thing, Jesus is drawing our attention back to him. This is what God is doing. Now look at me. I want you to focus on me because this is where the power of God is going to move in and through your life. Here's what God is doing big picture. Now focus on me and watch what I can do with you. So those are the two things, the two reasons why God brought you here today. He's going to give you that big picture, and he's going to invite us to focus on him and see what he's going to do in our life. So without further ado, let's look at God's word, the very reason why he brought us here today. We see this, Matthew chapter 14, 
We're going to pick up verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowds, and after he dismissed the crowds, he went upon the mountaintop by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came to Jesus. And when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of them, saying, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. Look with me, if you will, the very first verse again, verse 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat, foregoing, told them where to go to the other side, dismissed the crowds. First thing that we see is that word immediately. Now, this seems to be coming out of nowhere immediately this story begins. Well, there's a backstory to this story. Number one, we're going to realize that John the Baptist had just been executed. John the Baptist was the prophet that had been called by God, set apart for this moment in history. Jesus himself had said, there is no man born of woman greater than John. He is a big deal, and he is a big deal in the coming kingdom of God, of that coming Messiah. His job was to announce the Messiah's arrival and turn the hearts of the people toward the Christ, toward Jesus, and he has been executed. What this signals is not only a grief in Jesus' heart for the loss of his loved, beloved John, but it also signals that the people have rejected the messenger that is heralding his message. If they reject the messenger and kill him, his death is surely coming. So he is dealing with grief. He is dealing with looking at his ministry. He knows what is coming, the walk all the way to the cross in the torture thereof. That is the picture that we begin this story with. As Jesus moves out of the way, he is wanting to get alone and deal with this with God the Father and lay it before him and clear his head and focus on what he has to focus and not be distracted. The people come from everywhere. They come with their sick, they come with the lame and the blind, they come with everybody and they press in around him and he heals them and he's working with them and he's teaching them when he is heartbroken himself and he knows what is coming and they are hungry and he does a mighty miracle. The Bible says that he feeds 5,000, 5,000 men. Who knows how many women and children were there? Maybe up to 30,000 people. I do not know, but he fed thousands of people with a handful of fish and a handful of loaves of bread. And he was able to do that miraculously. God has just done one of the most profound miracles in the history of humankind. And that's where we come today. 
The disciples have been right there with him. They see this loss. They see the miracle. And the fun part of this miracle, it involved every sense that they had. They were able to see it, to taste it, to touch it, to hear the people speak of it. They could literally, with every sense that they possessed, touch the working of God. Verse 22, immediately, right after all of this, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him on the other side while he dismissed the crowds. That word, he made the disciples, that is a command. He did not request it. He didn't say, guys, y'all go on ahead, get some rest. He sent them, you guys go there. It is a command that they obeyed. Jesus is sending them. This is a big picture thing that we're going to see God play out. It seems like a simple command. I want you to get in the boat and go over there. That's all that their perspective allows them to see is that they've had this command. They don't see everything else that's coming, but Jesus understands what's taking place and he sent them and then dismissed the crowds. He went up on the mountain to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. The sun is going down behind the rolling hills of the Galilean region. Stop the glistening of that sunshine on the lake. That is gone. It is getting dark and he's all alone and he is praying. From the very beginning, we read the whole text and we see there's multiple things going on, this full big picture of God. But the next thing, the very start of all of the working power begins with Jesus praying, spending time alone with God the Father. His design and his purpose is that he has a command of his time. His desire is to escape here and spend time grieving the loss of John and working through that with the Father. People press in. He works a miracle. He is exhausted. It is the end of the day. He's been working in this crowd, and now he prays. If ever there is a lesson for you or I, we see the big picture. God has all of this worked out. He's got it mapped out. He's working it. We like Jesus, have the ability to get command of the schedule of our life. When things are hurting, when things are dark, when things are going sideways, Jesus got alone with God the Father, and through that we see a mighty working power that comes from it. From the very beginning of this text, he is refocusing our attention on God. Before everything happens here, it started with God. He began to pray by himself with God the Father, communing with him through prayer. Verse 24. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. A long way, about three and a half miles, as a matter of fact, from where they are. So you've got a long distance. They've been working all night. The the water and the waves are beating against them. The wind is blowing against them. Here's the simple truth. Jesus knew completely the reality of the weather. He knew what he was sending them into. This was not a surprise. He doesn't function like modern day weathermen that say it may be windy, it may be cloudy, it may snow. I don't know what it's going to do, but he knew exactly what he was sending them to. You're going to go across this lake and I'm going to meet you over there. He knew that they were going to experience this wind, this headwind in the waves. He knew that. They're a long way from shore, and they're struggling. Well, here's one facet that we can pull out of this truth. 
you may have come here today as a routine Sunday, but yet your life this week in the week that is coming, you are encountering a headwind in your life, that there is a struggle, there is something that you feel as though God has called me to do exactly what I'm doing. I'm not out of bounds from what he's called. I'm being obedient, but it is a struggle. I am tired. It seems like I'll never get over here, but I want you to watch something. Jesus knew this headwind existed when he dispatched him in the first place. God knows the headwind that you face in your life when he sent you into it in the first place. It is a perspective shift for you and I. These guys, all they see is the wind and the waves, but God is seeing miracles beginning to take shape in the middle of this adversity. It's just the beginning. In verse 25, they've been beaten by the waves. The wind is against them. In the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. The fourth watch, this is somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So the sun is about to come up. It's still dark. It's still very early in the morning. But he comes to them walking on the sea. How bizarre. But it continues. They all were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. Now, what's interesting with this is they are met with a reality. There is somebody walking on the water. What in the world is that? And so naturally, it begins with fear. Did you notice that? They were afraid. They were terrified. Then they called it a ghost. And then it sums it up by saying they were in fear. Terrified, ghost, fear. It's like a fear sandwich of sorts. On either side, there is fear. And in the middle, they have this bizarre idea. I have no idea what's going on here. I am terrified of it. It must certainly be a ghost. Well, how many ghosts have you seen on the Sea of Galilee in your lifetimes? Zero. They've never seen that. And now they're attributing what they see in some bizarre fashion. They know that they are in the direction that God has called them. They know that God says that I'm going to meet you over there on the other side of the lake. And now when they are met with that reality, they are afraid because this doesn't fit any of their mental models of how this works out. Fear. What we recognize is this is point number one of what we see God doing. Fear is misguiding. Fear is misguiding. What that means is when we see something and are afraid, when the challenges of life hit us, when things are working out, when God is doing things in our life that we can't measure the way we want to, fear begins to well up in our heart. Fear begins to make us anxious and anxiety abound. It makes us fearful of what's about to happen and we begin to act foolishly. We act foolishly because we are not thinking clearly. Fear is misguiding. It takes us off course. They are now attributing the work of miracle of God to a ghost. And it's silly. It is terrible. But it says, immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Now look at that. Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. To contrast, they were terrified, it's a ghost, fear. He's saying courage, it's Jesus, courage. Don't be afraid. Fear misguides. But number two, faith in Jesus 
enables. That's our second thing that God brought you here. Fear is misguiding. What they don't recognize at this point is that all of this was predetermined. God's plan was to get to the other side of the lake, but they are wrestling with their fear. Here's why. When Jesus dispatched them, they are following in obedience what they know God has said. Many of us in the room and online are saying, I am following God in obedience with where I'm supposed to be. I haven't deviated, but things are weird. I've got a headwind. I've got something that's walking on the water. I don't know what God's doing here. This is out of my league. So what they recognize when God dispatched them, there's two ways that Jesus is going to get to the other side of this water. Number one, he can walk around a lake. That may take a couple of days. Just depends on how fast he walks and how much he engages with the people. But it may be a couple of days he's going to get to the other side. He may wait until the morning and take a boat, make it quicker, go straight across. So there's really two physical ways that Jesus can get across this lake, either sail across it or walk around it. Those are the two ways that God can get to the other side of the lake. What they fail to recognize, even though they have seen, tasted, and touched a mighty work of God, what they recognize now is that God is doing something different than what they expect. That they are not able to map the footsteps of God. What they're trying to do is contain him to these two ways. Either he's going to walk around it and meet us there, or he's going to take a boat and meet us there. Those are the two ways. When they are confronted with the reality of what God is actually doing, they are surprised. And God may be bringing you here today and confronting you with this passage to remind you that the challenges that you possess in your life, the fear, the recent news that you have, the stuff that you are afraid is coming this week, that anxiety, that hopelessness, that loneliness, all of this, we have a tendency as human beings to look at that and say, God can work in one of two or three ways here. I don't see God moving in this way. There's really only a few ways that he can do this, and I don't see it happening. And fear begins to well up. Well, what if? If this doesn't happen, then what happens to me here? And if this doesn't happen, how's that going to work? And if that doesn't happen, then all of this is lost. And hopelessness in fear begins to misguide because we are trying to map the footsteps of God. He can only work in this way. God is proving to these disciples, as he is you, that we cannot contain what God does in our mind. God has the capacity, and honestly, God loves to do the impossible. And you may be looking at that fear in your life and saying, I really don't know how God's going to solve it. God doesn't need your help to plot his course. God can do it in ways you never dreamed possible. And it may be that simple truth is the whole reason why God brought you here today is to remind you that you can't map his footsteps. And he knows where you are on the sea here. He knows exactly where they would be. And he is so close to them that he's walking right past, that he can reach out and touch Peter when he takes a few steps out of this boat. He knows where they are. He knew the storm would be present, this wind. He knows that they were thinking he's going to take a human way to get there, but he's taking a God way. And maybe that's why God brought you here, to remind you, that that fear in your life, God is taking a God way. Faith in Jesus enables. Fear misguides. But faith in Jesus enables us 
Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. It's as if he is whispering that into your ear this morning. Take heart, it is me, it is Jesus. Do not be afraid. Faith in me enables the power of God. But he doesn't stop there. It's easy enough to calm their spirit, say, hey, it's not a ghost, it's me, I'm doing the impossible Once again, guys, you've seen it yesterday and you're still struggling here today, but it doesn't stop there. In verse 28, Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, walked on water and came to Jesus. It's so easy for us to throw Peter under the bus or under the boat, whichever way you want to take that. But one of the things, we can say how you failed, but look at what he's doing. This faith in Jesus enables. What does he ask? Command me. God's command, God's word enables us to follow. He's saying, I want you to command me. I want you to enable my faith. The waves are big. The wind is strong. I cannot believe what I'm seeing with my eyes, but I have faith that if you say that I can, I will. And so we're seeing this outpouring of this faith, but it's coming from this command of God. This faith is enabling. When we see Jesus and we put our faith in him, it enables us to do the impossible because God is inviting us to do it with him. It's not us doing the impossible, it's him, including us. So he commanded him. He got out of the boat and walked on water. What is keeping you from getting out of the boat You recognize, big picture, God has put this storm in their life, this wind. They've been rowing all night. They have seen this miracle, and they're wrestling with this faith. Do I even believe what I see? Can it be our Lord? And in the same way, we have come together today, surrounded by anxiety and fear all over this room of things that we wonder, how in the world can God ever do this? And he is saying, listen, this faith in Jesus enables And if you want me to command it, then I will command it. Get out of the boat and do the impossible. Maybe God is reminding you of that. And he's inviting you to step out and say, I'm going to have faith in you. And I want you, God, to enable my faith. I am weak in so many ways, but I know that I'll be strong when I cling to you. And that's what Peter did. But he continues in verse 30. When he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately he reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, You of little faith, why did you doubt? What we see is fear begins to overwhelm that faith. Notice he has faith enough to call out to Jesus, Lord, save me. So he is reaching out in faith. I have faith enough to believe that you can save me, but I don't have enough faith to get over this fear. And I'm sinking. I'm looking at the waves. I'm looking at the wind. I'm looking at the reality that I have no idea why my feet are so solid on this water. All of this is playing out in his head, but he, he does not have enough faith to overcome his fear, but he is trusting in Jesus to save him. There are countless numbers of us here today, in person, online. We have faith enough to know that when I breathe my last, I'm going to be looking at Jesus face to face. 
I have a confidence in a security in my salvation. I know in my heart that God walks with me in every detail. But buddy, this detail is one that I cannot put my finger on. This is something much bigger than I have ever experienced. This is something entirely different. What if this goes sideways? What if this doesn't work out? What if this person does that? What happens if... We play the what-if game, and we miss this faith concept. Jesus does something in the same verse. He reached out, took hold of him. So he solved this problem. But then he says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? You've had the experience of seeing God move in your life time and time again. You've seen God do these miraculous things, but every day there's a new challenge. In every day, God is calling us to put our faith in him. He's seeing this big picture that this whole process God has mapped out, and he is doing things that they never thought could be possible, but he is doing it big picture, and he is training them. He is developing that faith. You are seeing me do the impossible. You are seeing me invite you to do the same. You are seeing me be faithful. So develop this faith. When he got into the boat, the wind ceased. Why? This whole story is based on this headwind the storm here, the waves, the wind, the struggle. And the moment that this whole thing happens, the wind stops. It's as if God knew when he dispatched these disciples, he knew where they're going, that they're going to meet this headwind, they're going to have this challenge, they're going to be tired, they're going to be exhausted, he's going to come to them, they're going to see it, they're going to struggle with believing, and he's going to give them a lesson in faith, and he's going to develop them. If you watch Peter's life, as you read the rest of the pages of Scripture, Peter, we can fault him for sinking in the water and saying, you didn't have enough faith, you're weak, you didn't do it. But if you watch him later on in the book of Acts, he is a force to be reckoned with. He has learned the lessons that he needed here. God put him on a collision course with this issue, with this headwind, so that he can see and taste and touch the power of God and develop that, that faith. We know that fear is misguiding, and we know that faith enables. Faith in Jesus enables. And here's the third one. Adversity is God's classroom for faith. Adversity is God's classroom for faith. Understand at the beginning this big picture of what God is doing. He's the one who dispatched them into the wind. He is the one that told them where to go. He is the one who found them on the water doing the impossible. He is the one that empowered this miracle to take place. In the moment that all of this worked and this testing of faith worked, the whole thing went calm like it had never been before. And what God is declaring is that he is using this adversity, which he knew they were going to face ahead of time. He is using it to develop their faith for all that God has in store in the future. It's easy for us to beat ourselves up and say, I don't know that I have faith in this. I don't know I'm struggling in my faith. I don't know how God's going to do this. We have to recognize that God has designed the adversity in our life to draw us close to him. 
And it's this classroom of adversity that he teaches us what faith looks like and how it works in miraculous ways. And by the way, we do not have the capacity to see how God is going to do it. We think he's going to walk around the lake or take a boat over there, but we have no concept of the miraculous power that he actually has in store for you and I. This classroom of adversity, the challenges that you brought, the fear that you have, the anxiety that are so heavy on your life that you can scarce take a breath today. The unknowns, uncertainties of the workplace, of the family, you name it. I don't know what that is in your life and I don't have to. But God brought you here because he knew exactly that. He knew it would be in your life before you were ever born. He knew that this passage would be before us today, before you or I were ever born. And his design and his purpose is to remind us that not only is he aware of that issue, but he intends to redeem everything that he allows. And we look around and say, I don't know how he's going to redeem it. I don't know how he's going to walk around the lake or take the boat. I don't know how he's going to do this. I don't think he can. And it's at that moment that we see him walking across the lake and saying, how in the world does that happen? How did God do it? He exceeded my expectations 100%. And that is the invitation that God is extending to you and I today. Watch what they do in verse 33. The wind ceased. The classroom has been taught. And it says, those in the boat worshipped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. You want to see a declaration of faith, that's it. These guys were simply obeying the command of God. They got on the boat, they went across, they met the resistance that God knew they would have. They stepped out of the boat in faith and they sank. But God taught them through this. God redeemed it and it's been talked about for thousands of years and people have been stepping out of the boat for thousands of years and hundreds of generations of people and they've stepped into the hand of God himself and they've seen him move in the midst of their fear and their greatest worry and perhaps it's why God brought you here today. I was reminded when I was sitting here after the first service my grandmother had a place in the country in South Texas that she had grown up on. It's been in the family a long time. And I remember there's this walk across bridge, kind of halfway. There's a, a stream that goes through this land. And so there's a way you can drive across it to get to the other side of this country place. But there's a walk across bridge that's just designed for human foot traffic, that's all. And it was designed so as you're moving from one field to the next, you can get across this creek. The creek was, I don't know, about 15 foot drop off on either side of this, this creek. And this bridge is probably 25, 30 feet across on either side. But the way that it's designed is kind of an Indiana Jones feel. It's got cables for your, your handhold, and there's two cables on, the, on the, the base where the platform is, and it's all wired together. Now, each of these cables are thick. They're three-quarter inch cables, and they're all wired together, so even if one of them failed, the other three will hold this thing completely. But each of these cables are rated for eight to 10,000 pounds. I have seen some heavy people in my day, but none that big. So just one of these cables are going to hold anybody, but there's four of them, and they're all strapped together in a way that it holds secure. But because of the way that it's built, it's a suspension bridge in a small sense of the word, it bounces a little bit when you get out in the middle. It moves. 
So when I was a little boy, and I, I don't know, I probably weighed 60 or 70 pounds, I had relatives, you know, the extended family kind that you love the most. And they come, and they're afraid of this bridge. And I would walk out there as a little boy, I remember it vividly, walk out to the middle, and I'd say, look, look, it's solid. Everything's good. This is as solid as the rock of Gibraltar. You can be rest assured that this is good. So they would step out in some level of faith, wondering, is this going to hold? About the time they got halfway between me and halfway to the land, I would begin to jump on this thing. And it would begin to move, and it would cling to this cable. And listen, I had more people calling out in the name of the Lord than any sermon I have ever preached. But the truth is that no matter what a 70-pound little boy is going to do on this bridge, these cables will hold 10,000 pounds apiece. There is no way that this thing is going to collapse based on the behavior of some renegade in the middle of the bridge. And when we look at our life, and the reason why God brings us here is to solidify our footing and to rest assured that our footing will not come out underneath us. We have to look back and know that God is secure 100% of the time. And even in the most insecure footing, that of water for all things, he can make it secure. And it doesn't matter what comes in your way. It's like a 70-pound little immature child that's shaking you up and terrifying you. It does not have any bearing on your safety. God has you. He has a plan and a purpose. And he brought you here to remind you of your greatest fear, all that anxiety, all of that struggle, and the unknown of our future and say, God, today I'm just going to trust in you. Even if the bridge feels a little shaky, I know that you put this adversity in my life to develop my faith. And I want to see your mighty working power. And I want to see it today, Lord. I'm going to put my life in your hands. I'm not going to let fear guide me astray. I want that enabling faith. And today, God invites you to have exactly that. And here's how we're going to do this. As normal, what I do is I ask that we stand and, and we're going to have a song. And what I want you to do as you sing this, I want you to make this kind of a heart cry. And I want you to spend time praying with the Lord and saying, Lord, these are my fears. I'm not going to cover this up. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to try to solve this. I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to rest assured and cling. And Lord, help my faith. Enable me. And I will assure you that that is the very reason why God brought you here today. You may be here also and you have never put your faith in Jesus. And it feels like a shaky bridge. I don't know why all of these people have put their faith in him. But today God is saying, oh, I can do it in your life too. And you can pray and ask the Lord to forgive your sins and you can cling to him in full confidence. And that may be the reason why God brought you here as well. I'm going to be down front. If I can pray with you, if there's something I can do for you, I am more than ready. If I am busy, there'll be another pastor that comes down as well. You don't need me, but you do need God. So in this moment, do business with him as he leads. Would you stand with me as we sing and respond to the Lord's invitation? From everyone at Southcliff Church, Thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, 
please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.